All right. So just like start talking and we'll see if the microphone. What do you want me to talk about? Um, I've already started talking. What did you have for lunch today? (sighs) That's the oddest thing. (laughs) I could never remember what I ate. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Honest Mess podcast. This episode has been in the works for a while. I had to edit a lot, so that's why it's a little bit late coming to you, but I got to interview my 94-year-old great-aunt Nunny. Um, It was a real treat. She definitely divulged some information I didn't know about, which was fun, but I'll be coming back to you in between um, certain segments just to explain certain things so you're kind of more in the loop as to what she may be talking about. Um, As you can imagine, being 94, she kind of jumps all around the place, which is perfect. I just wanted her to be authentically her. Um, So you will be hearing my voice again and again and again and again and again just so you can stay in the loop with the episode. I'll be explaining people and situations as best as I can, um, as best as I can catch them here in the editing room, uh, aka my car. (laughs) But uh, this first segment, you'll be hearing a little bit about her growing up. Um, She starts off by commenting on my ohm tattoo (laughs) that I have tattooed on my foot. Um, She asked what it was, and I said it was the ohm symbol. And uh, she starts explaining that her sister used to do the mmm sound to like calm her down. And uh, I said, yes, they are pretty similar. She also says something about Eric, who is her firstborn child who unfortunately passed away a few years ago um, from liver cancer. And she talks about him a little bit when she went back to Detroit for the first time. So I think that's all the background information that you need to know Um, so please enjoy my sweet, sweet, sweet baby nunny, uh, on the Honest Mess podcast. Have fun. Enjoy it. Lay down and go, hmm. <laughs> that's kind of like that, yeah. Yeah, that's like kind of the sound that you make. And it's meant to like do that. It's meant to like kind of calm you down and bring you back to earth. I think that's what she used to try to explain. Yeah, she just needed a, a little mm-hmm. moment to chill. Mm-hmm. Well, lovely. Yeah, so I have it on my shirt. I have it tattooed on my foot. There it is. It's very significant. I like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It definitely hurt, though. It hurt. Why does it hurt? Well, because it's a tattoo, and it was near my ankle. Like, he was, like, jamming the needle in near my ankle. It doesn't hurt now, does Oh, it? no, it doesn't hurt now. Oh, good. When it was getting done, I had to really hold my friend's hand. Oh. Yeah. But I know you don't like it. <laughs> what induced you to do it? <laughs> Um, I don't know. I, yoga was a really important thing for me, so I decided to honor it in a way. 
I like putting like that kind of art on my body. I don't know. You've got it something feels on unique. your arm. I've got the arrow on my arm. Yeah, is that significant too? I want to say yes, but it's not. <laughs> but it's not. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Well, if you wanted to take it away, could you do that? I think so. It just costs a lot of money and it probably hurts a lot more than getting it done. Ooh. I think they use like lasers and stuff to take it off. It's not Ooh. fun. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, this isn't about me. <laughs> okay. Okay. So I'm just going to give a brief introduction as to like who I am what the show is called, and then I'll introduce you, and then we'll, like, get into whatever. We don't have to have a specific topic, but we can just chitty-chat like we usually do. Does that sound good? Mm-hmm. I heard every word you said. Good. Is your hearing aid in? No. Really? You don't have it in? No. Oh, well, you're cured. <laughs> well... I don't think I need a hearing aid. Because <laughs> well, are you usually able to hear stuff pretty well? Until my daughter tells me I can't. <laughs> Careful, she might listen to this. <laughs> no, I know. But we're just concerned. We want to make sure you're in the loop. Oh, good, good. Yeah. So, I'm in the loop. So this is, my podcast is called The Honest Mess. The Honest Mess. How do you spell that? <laughs> M-E-S-S. That's what I thought you said. <laughs> because I consider my world to be pretty chaotic and all really? over the place. Kind of like a circus, like an organized circus. And I, I use this podcast as a way to speak a lot of truths, like to share stories and be honest about things. And so I figured the honest mess was pretty appropriate. Oh. Do you like that name? It's all right, but <laughs> to my mind, a person can speak the truth and be honest or take subterfuge or whatever, <laughs> whichever direction you want to go in without talking about making it honest and truthful. Well, sure. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Yeah, right. Okay. I like talking about truthful things, even if they're weird or different or oh, a little okay. bit stigmatized, maybe. Well, just the fact that we're sitting here talking one on one like this, we're truthful, right? Yeah. Good. I'm not going to lie to you. No. <laughs> Are you going to lie to me? I would never think of it. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> well, you're... You know, it takes, <laughs> it takes too much... Uh, consciousness to not be truthful. If you're just being very natural without even thinking about whether you're telling the truth or lying, mm -hmm. then it's easier. But if I had to make up things and not be truthful, that, that would put a burden on me of trying to do something that is different than what comes to the surface. Right. And I've known from past experience, even if you lie a little bit, having to keep that lie up is pretty taxing. Well, little white lies don't hurt. <laughs> That's true. Sometimes. 
certain yes. situations. Yeah. Well, I want to introduce you to my listeners. So, what's your? Would you state your name for the record? <laughs> my listener. My listeners your of the listener. podcast. But what's your full name? My full name is Nora Evarian Wuchek. Wuchek. And you are 94 years old as of. I'm 94 last Monday. Last Monday. Mm-hmm. So a week and a half. Yes, a week and a half. About 10 days I've been 94. So you're 94 and 10 days old. Okay. Did you ever think you would make it this far? I never really thought about it. I knew I would... Well, ever since both of my sisters died and they were both younger than me, I thought, where is this leading and why am I still here and they're gone? Mm-hmm. And I know one reason why they're gone. It's because they both smoked cigarettes mm-hmm. and they had to listen to whatever their own voices told them to do. Mm-hmm. And I never smoked cigarettes. That's why I'm still here. Yeah. So you are the oldest of four, essentially, uh, with Sam. Total of five, if you five. count Sorry. my youngest brother was only at which who is was my half brother because right. he had a different father. Right. Mm-hmm. So you were born in 1925. Yes, 1925. And October you, 21st. Where were you born? I was born in Delray General Hospital in Detroit, Michigan. That's southwest Detroit. Is that hospital still there? I'm not sure if it's still there or not. It was there the last time I checked, Mm -hmm. but it might not be there anymore because that neighborhood has changed a lot. Has it? Mm. Have you been? When was the last time you were back in Detroit? Well, I was in Detroit uh, five years ago when I went to to have that... uh, the uh, computer lounge named after Eric. Right, after yes, Eric. that was about five years ago. Right. And I didn't go very far. I just stayed on the Wayne State University campus. Mm-hmm. Um, before that, I don't know, it was a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. So you are full-blooded. So part of this is because, well, obviously, you're actually a very requested guest on this podcast. I'm what? Your people have requested you be on this podcast a lot. Oh, okay. That's nice. <laughs> it is nice. I'm glad to oblige. <laughs> Thank you for sharing your uh, significant time with me. I appreciate oh, it. Oh, yes. I would love I love spending time with you. Aww. That's very nice. You have a nice way of uh, getting me to say things. <laughs> I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> well, it is a compliment. Um, so, and the other part, well, since I've wanted you to be on the show for a long time, but I also, um, um, we both know that resolution passed last night through the House recognizing the Armenian genocide for the first time. Like, It's amazing that it took them so long. Right. So the genocide. I know so many people, well, so many of my relatives were killed Mm -hmm. at that time. Right. And your mother specifically um, came over from Armenia, first to Canada and then to Detroit. Um, What, but I want to talk about her a little bit. 
um, because I love hearing stories about her too. And you got along well with your mother? Oh, yes. Yeah. We were mother and daughter. Yeah. Yeah. She had a rough go of it. So when, what year was your mother born? She was born, there, there was always some question about it, but finally, uh, when she was going to get her citizenship papers, American citizenship papers, she finally decided that her birthday would be October 12th, uh, 1907. So when you say that, basically there were no birth certificates to like really confirm that or not? Or was that just like based off of information she had? It's based on her memory and what her mother told her. Okay. Pretty much. Because in, in where she was born in uh, Turkey... Mm-hmm. In the Armenian uh, village that she was born in, uh, they didn't keep records. They kept baptismal records, but usually uh, the babies were baps- baptized within a couple of months after they were born, so I don't know what date that would have been, but she was baptized, so uh, everyone would recognize her as having been born. Right, after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she grew up in Armenia. No, uh, because uh, she was uh, six or seven years old when uh, the disruption happened and they had to leave their village. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were being terrorized by the Turks or Kurds uh, that wanted everything that they could get their hands on. So the Armenians were the people that had things. They were the literate people that uh, followed all the rules, and they had homes and property and furnishings, and um, and those people that were uh, itinerant and just there for the harvest time or whatever, they were the poorer people. They were the migrants around there. Uh, they were looking to get everything they could as long as the government told them they could. So Mm -hmm. once the government decided to eradicate the Armenians, then the Kurds came in and started taking everything. And, of course, uh, they were killing each other. Mm -hmm. And so um, my family had to leave, my ancestors. And where did they have to migrate to? They... Most of them understood that they had to go uh, westward instead of eastward Mm -hmm. from where their homes were. Mm -hmm. And that meant crossing all of Turkey with a lot of danger all around them, and they had to pretend that they were other uh, ethnic groups. And, of course, uh, they spoke several languages so that they could disguise themselves if they had to. Mm-hmm. Now, this when you say the Turks and the Kurds, those are the soldiers who were part of the Ottoman Empire, right? Yes. Right, yes. And, which is no longer a thing today, but during that time, that was like present-day Turkey was the Ottoman yes. Empire. Yes, but anyway, they, they, in that area, they had a lot of Turkish-speaking people, and of course, um, I recognized that when I was growing up, because whenever my parents, their older uh, members of the family, wanted to speak 
uh, without the children understanding, they would go from Armenian to Turkish. Mm -hmm. And then when they found out that my sister and I could understand Turkish, <laughs> then they would go into Kurdish. And we began to understand that, too. When I was a child, I understood not only our English and Armenian, but also Turkish and then little by little some Kurdish. That's great. How did you start to understand? Just by picking it up like context clues? Oh, just listening to people using the language. Yeah. That's the best way. <laughs> That's the way I learned Spanish. Really? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Hey guys, briefly back. Uh, so Noni's going to go into a little bit of the history of how her mother grew up in Armenia. And there's also talk about a certain Katie. <laughs> Katie is my cousin. She's the oldest cousin of this side of the family. And there's always uh, talk of who looks more like my grandmother, Katie or me. I say it's Katie, but anyway, enjoy. <laughs> my uh, mother always said they lived in uh, uh, several generations together in one house. Mm -hmm. And then their, um, the lands that they cultivated for their living and their food and everything was uh, surrounded the uh, village. Mm -hmm. And everybody that had a house in the village owned land around in the surrounding area mm -hmm. that they went to work in regularly so that they can produce what they needed and they've lived in a village called uh oh gosh curry curry was the name of the village mm -hmm. in uh north uh eastern turkey mm -hmm. it was in the upper right quadrant of turkey on the map and um, they had lived there for generations, for as far back as I, uh, I have any uh, imagination for, because um, evidently, for hundreds of years, they had always sent somebody to uh, Istanbul or Constantinople uh, to work in the... Um, head of the government's offices and every year they would send one of the smarter boys in the village to school in uh, one of the bigger cities like in Erzurum. Erzurum was the name of the city that uh, my family lived closest to or where their properties were and they would send a boy to Erzurum to learn how to read and write and understand things about government when they and for until they were 14 after they were 14 they would get an appointment to work somewhere in the government mm -hmm. that's the way it was done if you read about the ottoman empire that was all started way back around the uh, 1500s and so they had that tradition and i do remember my grandmother talking about one of her cousins uh, going to uh, Istanbul uh, to go to school there. And then after he graduated, uh, he got a job in the Ottoman Empire government. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Even before that, when the Ottoman Empire was really big, 
they used to send um, their educated boys to other countries like to Greece and Egypt, um, which were very close to Turkey. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember um, back when uh, uh, the Egyptian government was under a lot of pressure and King Farouk had to abdicate and his government went to somewhere in France, I guess, and one of my mother's cousins went to um, Canada and they came to visit us, I remember, and my mother went to visit them in Canada. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, I don't even remember what their names are, so I can't even look them up, but they still live in Canada. Weird. So yeah. we may run into some relatives in Canada? Yes. Interesting. <laughs> now, what is your, uh, what is one of your favorite memories growing up? I remember so well enjoying being in my grandmother's house. We used to go and visit, evidently, on Sundays or whatever. And then there were a lot of family members around. It wasn't just, you know, our nuclear family with my mother and father and my sisters and my baby brother. But uh, going to visit my grandmother was very important. I liked my grandmother and she liked me. I knew she liked me better than she liked my sisters because uh, <laughs> I listened to her carefully. Mm -hmm. I wasn't disrespectful. It wasn't that Camille and Mary were disrespectful. They just didn't communicate on the same level with Grandma. Interesting. And I did. Yeah. You had a special connection with her? You had a special connection with her? I think I did because I was her first grandchild. Mm. That makes a difference. So she had a bit of an obligation to be a really good grandmother to you as well, I would think. Yes. Or at least felt that, yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. <laughs> um, what, so your, in case anyone's unaware, your sister, Camille, is my grandmother. Yes. Yes. I hope people are aware of that. <laughs> well, some people might not know. Well, Camille would have been very proud. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I've I've actually I've like felt her before, her like presence before. Well, you look a lot like her. That's what everyone says. But I feel like she looks a lot like Katie. Looked a lot like... She looks a lot like Katie, or Katie looks a lot oh, like her. Oh, well, I'll have to notice that. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, okay, so you were born in 1925. And Camille was born in 1926. 1926. Oh, yeah, you guys were almost Irish twins. We discussed this the other day. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> And then Mary was born when? 1930. 1930. Her birthday was July 23rd. Yes. And then my brother Bart was born in 1933, and my father died three months after Bart was born. Mm -hmm. So how was it, what was it like being the um, oldest child in that family after your father passed? Well... I remember the feel, uh, how I felt before my father died, and I can't make a definite 
cutoff between before my father died and after my father died because I didn't notice the difference in the way I was treated mm -hmm. at all. The main thing was that my father um, gave me so much attention when he was alive, and I missed that after he died. Because mm -hmm. how old were you when he died? I was seven years old. That's young. That's awfully young. That's crazy that you even have memories. Oh, I have a lot of memories of my father because I spent more time with him than anybody else. Mm -hmm. And he always gave me a lot of attention. Mm -hmm. And he talked to me in a very intelligent way. And he wanted me to be proud of whoever I was and whatever I was. And he would tell me things uh, about the history of the Armenians that he didn't talk to the other children about because I remember saying things to my sisters about what my father had told me about Armenian history after my father had died, and they didn't remember anything. Hmm. And evidently it must have been important to me because I remembered. <laughs> Do you think that played into how smart and intelligent you are today? By your dad having those intelligent conversations with you when you were young? Well, there was a, there was a lot of uh, emphasis on being smart and quiet and um, modest. There was a lot of emphasis on it when I was growing up, mm -hmm. the way you should behave. As a woman or just as a person? As a person, mm -hmm. as a person, I don't think my father ever made a distinction between me being a girl or if I had been a boy. Mm -hmm. I don't think there was any distinction made in his attitude toward me and how he talked to me. Mm -hmm. He treated me, well, um, as his oldest child. Mm -hmm. And I was supposed to set an example. Right. And you had to keep that example going after he passed because, oh. Oh. you know, you've well. told me stories about uh, your mother not taking it so well and you had to, like, step up to the plate, essentially. Well, my mother was a very strong person for going through what she went through mm -hmm. when she was young. Right. She was so young. And to have the responsibility of raising four children after my father died. I mean, she just took it on very normally. Mm -hmm. there, wasn't any, there wasn't any question in her mind who she was and how she had to be. Mm -hmm. And she just was. She was, a, to, in my mind, she was the best kind of mother there is. Oh, I love that. She couldn't have been anything else. Yeah. Yeah, she did. She went through a lot. She went through a lot. She was only 18 when she got married mm -hmm. and barely 18. And she was 19 when I was born. Right. But one thing that she always stressed was reading and writing and education and I think that was because that's what my father did. The only thing inheritance he left was a trunk full of books. 
Yeah, because all of you were so intelligent, intelligent women. I don't know about being intelligent, but you had to be thoughtful. Thoughtful. Being thoughtful, you had to think about things, and if you thought about things, then that's intelligence, right? Yeah, you have to start If your mind is blank, then you can't be very intelligent. You're very thoughtful. Thoughtful? Yeah. I think you are. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) Isn't she just the cutest? (laughs) Um, So this next part might get a little graphic quickly um, or briefly. She talks a little bit about the Armenian genocide and what her um, mother had to go through as a child and her grandmother, uh, Nuni's grandmother, um, having children killed during that. So just be prepared. A little graphic. Um. Otherwise, please listen and learn. Your mother got married at 18. She had you at 19. Yes. And when she was, what, seven, she had to do that march? Was she a part of the uh, march from the genocide across the desert? Oh, yes. It it crossed the the Turkish uh, country, Mm -hmm. countryside. Yes, because evidently what happened was um, somebody sounded an alarm and they had to quickly take whatever possessions they could carry on their backs and leave the village. And evidently uh, one of the men in the family had heard something a day or two before that there might be an attack on the village and so people had a couple of well let's say 24 hours anyway to prepare and I remember um, my grandmother saying that they had to rush out of their house without taking anything just grabbing the children and of course, she had several children, and they were all killed within the first few weeks of the attack, except for um, my mother and her brother, younger brother, uh, Diran. My uncle Diran was uh, three or four years younger than my mother, and he must have been about four years old at the time. I think my mother was seven. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know my grandmother had her smallest child in her arms, but the Turks grabbed him by the hair and put a sword through him uh, right in front of her. And I never heard this from my grandmother. I heard it from other people because my grandmother never talked about the horrors of that time. Mm-hmm. I could imagine. She just wouldn't talk about it. Did she ever end up talking about anything? My grandmother? Yeah. No, she used to reminisce about the good times. She would tell stories about her sisters. She was the oldest of three girls. And uh, how her um, father insisted that she learn how to read and write and hired a tutor for her because uh, the schools were just for the boys. Uh, But he wanted his daughters to learn how to read and write and my grandmother was the oldest of three girls and so 
they had a tutor to teach them how to read and write. And that's why uh, I remember years later uh, when I used to, when I worked downtown uh, before I was married, I used to stop at my grandmother's house on my way home from work on Saturdays because I had to work a half day on Saturdays. And I'd get off the bus and uh, her house was uh, between the bus stop and where we lived. And I used to stop at her house sometimes. And on Saturday, when I was coming home at 12 o'clock, I used to stop at her house. And that was when the other uh, old Armenian women would gather at my grandmother's house while she read the newspaper to them, and especially the um, romantic serial that was in <laughs> the newspaper every Saturday. And they were all interested in what happens next, you know. And I would stop at her house, but I always came in the back door and I waited in the kitchen to make sure that I didn't interrupt anything. And I could hear her reading. And she was the only literate one in her, women of her age. At that time, she was probably in her 50s. And uh, they didn't want to, the story to be interrupted by me walking in, <laughs> and I knew that. And so I would wait in the kitchen, and then after she was through with reading the cereal, uh, she would call me to come in. And they, but, but when I listened to her reading, uh, I remembered that uh, when she read the Armenian word for automobile is inknasharj, which it, the words in Armenian mean th it moves by itself. <laughs> automobile. Mobile is, it runs, and auto is by itself, right? Well, in Armenian, it's inknasharj, which is automobile. And the other word that would be in the uh, these serial things that she would read to her friends was um, hedapar, and hedapar is the word for telephone. Uh, Heda means from afar, uh, bar means word, getting word from afar, just like telephone. Phone means what you hear, and tele means speaking. So uh, she would use those words, but every time she used one of those words, which was written in the Armenian newspaper in the correct way, she would have to stop immediately and say the English word because these Armenian women were illiterate and they didn't know the Armenian word for telephone or automobile because those things didn't exist when they were born and grew up in the old country. So there was no Armenian word for it? Or there, there wasn't was. as far as they were concerned, right. but I knew those words. Right. And when my grandmother would read those words, I knew those women didn't know, <laughs> so that's why she would immediately say telephone or automobile, and then they Just were okay. Herself. But if she forgot to say that, then I would hear the women say, well, what was that? What, what do, did you say, Pepperon? <laughs> My grandmother's name was Pepperon. And, uh -huh. and she would say, as soon as she said it, you know, as soon as she read it, she would 
say the American word. That's really funny. Now, when you say romantic serials, does that is that the same as cartoons? No, it wasn't cartoons. It was the uh, or comics. Uh, every Saturday, they would have a chapter in the oh. newspaper of the last romantic novel that they were reading. That's so funny. every Saturday they came to hear the latest development. Ooh la la. You know, like those popular novels nowadays <laughs> a lot of people read in English. Right. You know? Well, that they had those in Armenian, but these women didn't know how to read, but right. my grandmother did. So every Saturday they'd get together at her house and uh, they would sit. In, they would be sitting around in a circle in her living room, and she would read them the novel, the the chapter for the novel. So they just sit around and listen to the Armenian hanky panky tales. Oh yeah, and then of course my grandmother always had coffee uh, going, and they'd have their coffee cups, and afterwards they'd come to the dining room table and sit around and have a piece of cake with the coffee. That sounds like a lovely afternoon. Oh, yes. I wouldn't was. mind doing that now. Well, it seemed like every time I stopped at my grandmother's house to see her, uh, she was, she was uh, on Saturdays she would have that going. Mm-hmm. It wasn't so different from the way we live. I suppose so, yeah. Just different forms of entertainment, I yes. think. Yes. Now it's kind of odd if people aren't literate, I guess. Is that like a too privileged of a thing to say? Oh, that's right. I mean, everybody's literate. They watch their own (coughs) TV serials, right? Yes, (laughs) exactly. Or they read in the old days, like in the 1930s, I remember, they used to read it in the newspaper Mm -hmm. every Saturday or every Friday, whenever it was. All right, so this next part really doesn't need any introduction. She kind of goes all in on um, the info anyway, but she talks a little bit about her um, meeting my Uncle Joe, so her husband of a very long time, as you will come to find out, and how they met, and the background of growing up in Detroit as a fun 20-something. It's pretty cool to hear, so go on and listen. Well, I have... A question. Well, I've heard this story before, but I love the story of how you met Uncle how, Joe. How I met Joe? Yeah. Oh. So huh. Joe is Nunny's husband who passed in 2007? 2003. Oh my gosh. So I was only 13. 2003. My okay. favorite memory is playing Chinese checkers with him. Oh, really? Oh my gosh. He would always let me win. Really? Yeah. I remember being at Peggy and Phil's house, and we would sit at, you remember their little, like, table against the wall? Uh And every time I came over, I probably drove him mad. When you guys were in town, we would play Chinese checkers like crazy. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. And he was so kind about it. I probably begged him a million times to play, play, play. Yeah. Yeah. And I always won. Oh. (laughs) Does that sound out of character for him? Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, he certainly didn't let Eric and Peggy win all the time. <laughs> he softened with age, maybe? I guess so. Yeah. I guess so. He died in 2003. 2003. He was 81. Wow. Mm. Wow. So he would have been 
97 now? Yes. 98? Uh, man, oh man. Do you mind telling the story of how you guys met? How we met? Yeah, because you were married for how long? Uh, 52 years. That's a long time. I guess it is. <laughs> I mean, not compared to your age, I suppose. <laughs> well, in those days, we went to dances, mm -hmm. and the dances were public dances. And what year was this? Uh, in 1947, when I met Joe, and I think it was somewhere around 1946 when I started going to those dances. And there were two big dance places. Well, there were several, I suppose, in Detroit. But when you read about the 1800s, they started having these kinds of public dances. And when I read novels about the 1800s, I think to myself, well, when we used to go to those dances, we thought it was a new kind of thing that they didn't do. But that's not true because there are 1800s novels where they have people going to those dances. Like and dance that's halls. where we met. We met at the, the, the big one was on Woodward Avenue and it was called the Greystone Ballroom. Mm -hmm. And the Greystone Ballroom was the biggest dance place in Detroit. And everybody came from both the east side and the west side. Now, on the east side, they, well, I'll tell you about the west side first. <laughs> the Grandy Ballroom was on Grand River. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't nearly as big as the Greystone. And we used to go to the Grandy Ballroom on Friday nights, and we'd be, you know, kids from our schools, you know, because it was at the west side, mm -hmm. and I would run into kids that I knew from school, and on the east side, it was called the Vanity, and it was off East Jefferson Avenue, and uh, I only went there once or twice because I wanted to see a particular boy, and I knew he went there. Uh, so you but, were so you were following someone essentially because you liked them every once in a while. <laughs> hey, we're all guilty of it. It's fine. <laughs> but the big ballroom was the what did I say? Greystone. The Greystone. Yes. The Greystone was on Woodward Avenue. Yeah. And they came from the east side and west side. And it seemed like the boys I met there were always from the east side. Mm -hmm. And the only time you saw them was at the Greystone. But Joe Wujic lived on the east side also. Mm -hmm. But for some reason or other, he decided to come and visit me. <laughs> at my house. And after that night that you met. I I think I think I saw him there several Wednesdays in a row mm -hmm. before he came. Before he introduced himself to you at the dance club? Well, uh, no, I I met I remember meeting him for the first time at uh the Greystone Ballroom. Right. And I was standing with uh two of my friends, and I looked over, just like over there about to the, that doorway, mm -hmm. and there was a group of boys standing there, and I thought, oh, that one's really good looking. <laughs> and I, I saw Joe there. That was the first time I saw him. He didn't see me. He was standing there with his, I don't know, he, he didn't really. His rat pack. Uh, well, <laughs> I saw him from the side, 
He had a nice profile. <laughs> and he was talking to uh, one of the uh, one of the boys. He was I didn't know Joe at the time. I hadn't met him yet. But he was talking to a boy I knew that worked in the Wayne State University bookstore. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, you know, I was taking a class at Wayne State, and I'd go to the bookstore, and I remember meeting this guy. I can't even remember his name. He worked at the bookstore. Right. So when I was at the um, dance place at the Greystone Ballroom, and I saw this boy talking to several other boys... I just went up and said hi to him, and he knew me. He said, hi, Nora, Mm -hmm. and then he introduced me to Joe and the other guys. I think there were three or four of them standing together, and that's how I met Joe. And then when was compared, so how long after that was it Probably two or three weeks, because I used to go there almost every Wednesday night. Mm -hmm. And then on Friday nights, I used to go to the... Um, Grandy Ballroom on Grand River. You are quite the little dancing queen. Why not? Yeah, why not? And what else do you do? What, <laughs> what do you guys do? Um, what do we do? Really nothing. I wish we did things that were more fun like that. Well, you know, the reason I took to it is because the novels that I read from the... Uh, I could even pick out a book for you there where they talk about where the young people go to dance. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, uh, their parents wouldn't let them go to those dance places. I don't know why, because we had a rule, you never go home with a boy. You always stay the, with the girls that you came with. Did you follow that rule? You always follow the rule. <laughs> yeah. So how long after... You and Joe met. Did you, like, officially get engaged? Um, He asked me for my... We didn't have telephone yet in those days. Mm -hmm. So he asked me for my address and could he come and visit me. So I said, okay, and I gave him my address. And I didn't really think he'd show up, but one day (laughs) he did. There he was. And you just so happened to be home? Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh... Did your mother like him? Oh, yeah. And my sister, Mary, oh, my God. (laughs) She had to go call all her girlfriends, and they all came over, and they stood in the other room peeking out at us. Because they thought he was so handsome? Uh, Yeah. They thought, ooh, isn't he, what's the the word they would use? Cool? (laughs) Or whatever? Hip? Yeah. I I like cool better. So then he showed up at your house, and then you guys dated for how long? Oh, that was 1947 when he came. I think it was about September, because I met him in June, mm-hmm. June or July yeah. during the summer. And then in September or October, it was fall, he came to visit at my house. And then uh, we started going out to the movies about once a week or once every two weeks. Not once a week. Joe never called on me once a week. Uh, Every other week. Mm -hmm. So it would be every other week. And what year did you guys marry? We got married in 1950. 
Oh, wow. Yeah. So was that pretty typical in those days for like a long dating? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Because you oh, hear yeah. stories about people meeting and like pretty quickly getting engaged and getting married. Well, I did. I When I met, first met Joe in 1947, I don't think I'd ever kissed a boy yet. He was your first kiss. I was 21 years old. Mm-hmm. I don't think I kissed him until probably September or October. No, you didn't do those things. So it wasn't quickly. as promiscuous. It wasn't as promiscuous. Oh no. Oh no. You 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 were very formal. Mm-hmm. Very formal. In this next part, Nani starts to get a little cheeky, and we talk about the dating um, differences between now and then, and kind of her dating history. It's awesome, so enjoy. Well, I I went out with the different boys for the first two years I knew Joe. So you weren't really like dating, or was it like an open relationship? What do you mean by that? When you say open relationship, what do you mean? Like, were you and Joe considered together, but you were, like, dating uh, other we people? We weren't together until we had been dating for two years, at least. So, interesting. So you didn't officially start dating Joe until, like, 1949. <laughs> Is that true? You just knew him? Right. Yeah. And I think I was going out with other boys <laughs> until we started talking about going steady. I guess it must have been 1950 sometime. Were those the exact words that you guys would use, going steady? Like, was that a step up from just, like, being friendly? Yeah. And then you would be going steady. Yeah, then you go steady. Is there a step up from there? No. No. <laughs> going steady is you don't see anybody else but him. Gotcha. That's going steady. Monogamous. Well, you could call it that if you're not going to see anybody else. Yeah. You got one. You and Joe, Joe and you. We didn't start doing that till 1950. I mean, we had known each other for a couple years. Right. Okay. I'm starting to understand a little bit more now. I didn't realize that you guys didn't immediately start dating. Oh, you've never divulged that information. <laughs> well, I met him around June of 1947. Right. Okay. And I didn't really start thinking about him seriously till maybe January of 1950. Gotcha. He was a slow burn. Took you some time. Well, I don't know. I think in 1947, there were two or three other boys I dated. Nora. <laughs> Do you remember yeah, their names? Yeah, but when you dated, you didn't kiss. Really? You so didn't even like, kiss. It was like a courtship almost. Well, I think the first time any one of my boyfriends held my hand was maybe the third or fourth time we went on a date. Mm -hmm. And we're sitting in a movie and he reaches over and picks up my hand. Wow, <laughs> that's a shock. What did you think? Well, 
this shouldn't be, or I'm glad he did that. <laughs> so you're kind of breaking the rules a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you start to know each other a little better. Yeah. And you feel comfortable. You know, you can help him with his coat. <laughs> That's funny. You don't realize all the steps you have to go through. I guess I didn't. I mean, things happen pretty quickly nowadays. I guess they do. That's yeah. what I hear. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there's no well, steadiness. Well. <laughs> oh, we must, we must have gone out with each other six times before we kissed. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah. Do you know the self-restraint that people nowadays would have to have in order to wait six times to kiss? It's just, we're an over-sexualized culture. Everyone oh, wants is. to kiss. It is. It must be. Yeah. No one wants to wait. Myself included. Well, <laughs> I think in a way it's more logical the way you guys do it. I mean, what are you waiting for? <laughs> what were you waiting for? I don't know. It was... You got to know each other better. I guess, yeah. And then you had to go and meet uh, uh, their family and all that sort of thing. So you would be like meeting family, then it's like okay to kiss. Or there's more steps in between. Oh, there's a lot. Oh my God. I don't think Dylan met any of you guys for like months. And we kissed on our first date. Is that well, shocking? it's very different. I'm <laughs> glad it's the way it is now. Everything is more open. Yeah. Everybody knows where they stand. Before, it was always, was he ever going to call again? Uh, when will I see him again? He called, but he didn't say make a date. Mm. I mean, what is that? <laughs> I mean, nowadays, you'd say, what is that? Right. right? Well, you just calling to say, hey? Yeah, we're just talking about what we did all week. Right. Oh, I'll see you again on Wednesday. Oh, yeah? At the dance club, right? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well, we're going to the, we're going to the um, Grandy Ballroom on Friday if you're going to be there. Why should he come all the way across town to go to the Grandy Ballroom on Friday? He just saw me on Wednesday. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, because I had a different boyfriend at the Grandy that I only saw at the ballroom. You wouldn't see him outside of it? Oh, no. If I was going to see him outside, that would be a step closer. Closer to to (laughs) (laughs) hand-holding. Yeah. Gosh, it's I think the way we did it was just fine. Sure. Yeah, for the time, right? For the time. Things evolve with... Society, I suppose, whether it's good or bad, things evolve. Well, it was easier to get rid of boys if you got to know them a little better because you hadn't done anything, so you could say, oh, I'm going to be busy next week. I won't be able to see you, you know? Did you ever get caught in, like, a white lie? Like, oh, I'm going to be busy, so I won't see you at the dance no, club. No, I never got caught. I always Ooh. knew what I was doing. Yeah. 
You're a sly lady. Well, because Detroit was a big city. There was the east side and the west side. Sure. Everything, I, I always lived on the west side. He lived on the east side. We were never going to run into each other unless we met along Woodward Avenue somewhere. Right. So you just kind of skirted by knowing that you'd be a-okay. Yeah. I remember running into one of my boyfriends from uh, the Greystone on Woodward Avenue downtown because I worked downtown. And I saw him there. And I, oh, my God, he saw me. Did you duck and cover? Yeah. You ran away? I don't want to run into him again. <laughs> I already put in my two weeks notice. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> That's fascinating. I like hearing these stories about when you were that age. Well, it was a whole different world than it is now. Right. It was a completely different world. You could date two different guys and keep them apart. <laughs> now it's a little impossible. Oh, now nowadays, <laughs> my gosh, what they would do. Oh yeah, it's crazy. I never got very familiar with the boys I dated because once I met Joe, my feelings for him were so different that I didn't want to spoil it with anybody else once I got to know him, you know. How would you describe Joe? How would I describe him? Yeah. Oh, God. It's hard to remember now. You were together for 52 years. That's crazy. Oh, okay. I got to describe all those 52 years. You don't have to describe all of them, but what's a general synopsis of Joe Wujic? Well, first of all, I thought he was very good looking, but he wasn't the pretty boy type. He was very masculine, mm -hmm. and I liked that part about him. He was very courteous. He followed all the rules. And uh, when he came to meet my mother and my sisters, uh, he made a very good impression. There was a time when we didn't see each other for a few weeks. And his uh, sister, he had a sister that was about the same age I was, about a year, a couple of years younger than he was. And his sister and his mother came to my house on a Sunday and she wanted to know what happened with Joe because he, she knew he wasn't seeing me and she wanted to know what happened. I think she got used to the idea that we were going to be couple together and we're going to be together and I said oh I don't know he just he just I haven't seen him in a couple of weeks and I don't know what happened. And she said, and she told her daughter, she said, um, Nora's a very fine lady. I don't want him to, I, he, I'm not interested in his other girlfriends. <laughs> Something like that. She said right out. Right. She and she wasn't was gonna sitting in it. our living room when she said that. Oh. My mother was in the kitchen. <laughs> so I knew that she thought Joe and I should be serious. Right. That was such a nice thing to hear. I'm sure. I was so flattered they came to see me. Yeah. 
That is a nice feeling, knowing that you were the favorite amongst Joe's GFs. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That's wonderful. So as a 94-year-old, what is your favorite thing to do now? My favorite thing to do? Yeah. Can I ask you the same thing? Sure. We can go back and forth. What's your favorite thing? I think, well, I have a lot of favorite things, but I think one of my favorite things is being around family. Oh, you like being around family? I do. Uh, I'm very lucky to have both my mom's side and my dad's side to be pretty amazing people. Yes. So I enjoy any situation where I get to be with my family. I'm very lucky to have you interested in me. Uh, girl. Well, I have to keep up this ruse of being your favorite, right? I'm <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> no. Um, I appreciate that. I like, I just, I think especially with our rich family history, and you have so many stories and such rich knowledge of it, I, I like to learn from you, and I like to be around you. You have a very calming presence for me. Oh, thank you. Oh, I hope I'm not nervous and excitable and anxious and <laughs> jumping on you for what you haven't done or no. want to do and shouldn't and all that. No, that's my mom's job. She does right. it very well. Yeah, good, good. So It's hard for me to think in terms of the generation between us. I know. You seem so close. I know. I feel a very close connection to you, too. Oh, good. Yeah. Good. I'm glad. I've experienced this before with Nani, but um, she has two younger sisters and two younger brothers, and all of them are gone now, long gone. And um, when I've been with her before, she has these, I wouldn't say outbursts, but random, like, whys about, you know, she's the last one, and it kind of gives you insight on being 94 and not really having a lot of close family. So here's that and enjoy the rest. Well, I appreciate you being interested. Of course. You're an interesting lady. Well, you're an interesting girl. Well, you're an interesting lady. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> and They're gone. They're all gone. Mm. I can't believe it. You're 94. Yeah, and why did they die? Mm. They went off and left me. Yeah. That wasn't right. I mean, they were younger than I was. They should be here. Yeah. Shouldn't they? I wish they were, yeah. Oh, God. I never thought I'd be able to get through any kind of social situation without my sister Camille. I mean, she was the crutch I relied on. Mm-hmm. She was very outgoing. Oh, she was outgoing. She had her quieter moments, but uh, she was an outgoing person, and it, if it weren't for Camille, I wouldn't have had friends, I don't think. <laughs> she was the one that was the friendliest. Mm -hmm. And, of course, Mary, my sister Mary, was always trying to keep up with Camille. I was never the ideal for her in any way. She just wanted to be different than me, but just like Camille. Did you know that? 
I had a hunch. Oh, you had a hunch. Well, I've heard stories. That's just yes from you and, you know. You hear stories. Just stories of like how, uh, how you all were different in your own little ways. How you're all, all your personalities were so different. I think that's because we were sisters. You, we, you, couldn't, you couldn't express yourself the same way as somebody else did. You had to be different. You had to be unique. Uh, I guess that's why we were different. We didn't want to see ourselves reflected in each other. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that way about your family at all? Um, I think when we were growing up, our, my sisters and I were very, very different. I mean... Yes. We, I mean, I have such a big gap between... I mean, you kind of have a similar gap between you and Mary, but I'm seven years older than Trixie. Oh, yes. And me, Millie and I are two years apart. Uh-huh. Um, but I was always the athletic one. Millie was always like the more artistic band art Oh, creative. Uh, yes. And we just didn't click. We fought a lot growing up. Mm. But I think now that we're all in our 20s, um, we've grown to understand and enjoy each other's company a whole lot more. You know, you're more mature. Yeah. I think it took, A, probably moving away from home and like not being around each other all the time so we could kind of like create a distance between us well you have different experiences now when you're not all in the same household right and I don't know yeah I think just maturing and becoming an adult and recognizing our faults and how we can be different but still like Good. each other as sisters has yes. definitely happened it's wonderful to have sisters it is yeah you and I are the oldest of our three sisters that's kind of funny Huh. Yeah. Do you feel like you have to set a good example? <laughs> um, not necessarily. Maybe when I was growing up, my mom and dad would like encourage that to happen. Yes. Like, you're the oldest, you have to set an example. But Millie is so on her own path yes. that she's fine. <laughs> she knows who she is. Good. Trixie the same way. Trixie, uh-huh. I mean, they're both so individualistic and independent people mm-hmm. that and I never all felt three the pressure. You're very mature for your you know, for considering you're young. You're Thank in you. your twenties. Yeah. Uh-huh. Especially that Teresa Jane. Especially Teresa. Oh. She's gonna be taking care of all of us. <laughs> she well, that's good. Yeah, we can rely on her. I hope you guys have enjoyed everything so far. This very last part, I definitely need to give insight because um, when I was interviewing Nunny, I was wearing a shirt that said, let your spirit set you free. And she kind of went into a little philosophical discussion about it. And I think it also highlights the differences between life now as like me growing up in my 20s and what was expected of her when she was growing up in her 20s back in the 40s and 50s um so that's what she's talking about here um talking about my shirt and uh what she thinks about it and 
yeah, this is the last part. So enjoy. And I love you. And uh, I love my nunny. And let us all connect with someone today who, you know, we may just need, who may just need connection. Anyway, that's it. Enjoy. Love you. Well, I love you very much. I love you very much. I love you too, hon. Should we hand hug? Hand hug. (laughs) Thank you for talking with me today. I enjoyed it. I hope you did. I enjoyed it too. You've got such smooth hands. Thank you. Mine are wrinkled. Yours feel smooth. A lot of lotion. A lot of lotion on these hands. Oh, I hardly ever remember to put lotion on. It's okay. You're 94. (laughs) That's why my hands are so rough. Oh, let your spirit set you free. How do you know your spirit can be free? That's a really good question. definitely an innate feeling of freedom maybe well it's assuming when it says let your spirit set you free you're assuming it can be free mm-hmm. but you don't know true that's true what kind of a quest is that <laughs> I think I don't think that th- those six words could have come together like that a generation ago or two gen I've got to say two generations ago. Right. That's why it's so intriguing to me. Let your spirit set you free. What do you mean by that? There's a lot of talk nowadays about being like a more free spirit and I think that just goes with you know not following the typical path Uh that people have followed not following society's expectations of you maybe isn't that scary in a way i would say so yeah but i mean for example my path like my career probably wouldn't have been thought of as a full-time career way back in two generations ago. Right. So, I mean, yeah, it's it's scary because there's not a path laid before me, really. But that doesn't mean it can't be done. That's exactly it. Doesn't mean it can't be done. You're right. I would never have thought of that. Oh, boy. <laughs> I'd like to be here 20 years from now when the next thing comes up. I know. This place is going to be wow. chaos. <laughs> Let your spirit set you free. We would have thought of the concept of your spirit in such a traditional way that you can't possibly come up with the second phrase. Really? That's why I'm questioning it. <laughs> And to me, I read that and I'm like, oh, that's just 
typical of this generation to want right. to feel a bit more free. I'm glad. You've taught me something by that. <laughs> the t-shirt has taught you something. Oh, dear. At least you're into it. Yeah, I'm into You're it. in that mode. And I can't be because I'm too scared. <laughs> there's still time. Oh. Uh, no, there's only one place left for me to look at. <laughs> and that's not even life. Mm. 